Ridley's Day. One, two, three, let's go. Welcome to No Clip. I'm Chad Rutherford. I'm JJ Artemis. And I'm Andy Kinney. And today we're going to be talking about Metroid Prime, uh, which is a game that was developed by Retro Studios and published by Nintendo and was released on the GameCube in 2002. Uh, I might actually need a little bit of help here. When did it come out on the Wii? Oh, fuck. I don't know. Just, I'm going to guess 2008, just shot in the dark. That's a. That seems like a good. That does seem like a good guess. guess. It wasn't immediately available to me, and so therefore I did not remember it. Uh, <laughs> but it's there uh, in the Prime Trilogy collection mm. thing, and you can download it somewhere on some other object, right? Yeah, you, you can get. It's 2009. I did find it. It was <laughs> under, like, further whatever. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the point is, I did not play this. Uh, so, yeah, it was. 2002 on the GameCube, 2009 on the Wii, then 2000 whenever on the Wii U, they released it as like a downloadable thing that I assume makes you use the Wii. Yeah, like it's the a virtual console. Yeah. Now, we actually, me and JJ, and by JJ I mean Andy. <laughs> Let me try that one again. <laughs> me and Andy played this game on the, uh, on the GameCube, actually, which was nice because like using a Wii is a waking nightmare that I, like, never want to relive. Uh, Damn it, then we're going to have no voices in, immediately in favor of the Wii version, which is by far the best version, because you don't have to deal with holding down the L button and moving the C-stick to look is, where, they, where you want to look. It's actually... Okay, it's, it's neither of those yeah. things. You hold down the R button and yeah. move the analog stick. <laughs> Whatever. I thought that it was a you stick and a shoulder. I think that you would have played it on the Wii. I thought about it, but uh, then I realized how much effort, comparatively, it would take for me to put a Wii sensor bar, and I had replayed the Wii version so many times uh. that I wanted to feel like I was worried that you all would not play the GameCube version. Mm. And I'm going to make sure I can get some information at the, at the original controls that I haven't played since I was right. in, in 2005 or so. Right. Well, you know the last time that I played a game with these controls... Uh, before I put it on Metro Prime, uh, it was when I played GoldenEye 007 on the N64, uh, because they thought that the first game to take an FPS and put it on a uh, console just nailed it the first time. On a, on a console with one joystick and a weird three-prong controller. They were like, you know, we have a much better controller and two analog sticks. Fuck them. Let's use the R button so that you can manually aim that way. I take offense to you saying that the C stick is a is a second analog stick. <laughs> it's more like an analog nipple or some kind of. It's kind of a piece of garbage. Nipple. Yeah. The, well, that being said, less like a nipple than the uh, the C stick on the new 3DS. Well, that's a nub. Right. That is a nub. That's like a like a laptop weird track mouse thing. <laughs> Uh, it's but been so long since I've used one of those laptop weird track mouse things. I know you're talking about. I see old people use them sometimes. Sure. Like while you're observing old people? Right. 
But it, like from a distance, it because I always forget that they exist, and they're normally in the very center of the keyboard. Right. It looks so confusing because you just see an old person with like one finger, like in like the middle of their <laughs> keyboard, just sort of like just gesturing and like applying force. Yeah, it's real hot. Yeah. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. <laughs> oh, <laughs> believe man. it, believe it or oh, not. I'm in the wrong place. Yeah, <laughs> I thought I was in the observing old people podcast. <laughs> uh, so this game. Uh, is a first-person shooter, uh, in pretty sharp contrast to previous Metroid games. And in fact, previous Nintendo games? Yes. Like, as far as I can think of, this is the first first-person shooter that Nintendo ever released. Uh, though I'm not, don't hold me to that as an actual fact. Um, <laughs> though Nintendo, I guess, did not develop it. It was a retro studio's, like, effort. Um, but in addition to that, it's a Metroidvania, but I think more descriptively, it is a, it is a Metroid-ass Metroid game. Uh, they brought so much of the design sensibility of the original Metroid games into Metroid Prime, and literally it was just like, alright, let's put, let's put camera, put the camera in Samus's head. And then that's just kind of how it operates. Everything that is, like, iconic of the Metroid series is here. Just from a different perspective. Right. And it well, turns obviously out, there are level design differences, but for the most part. That new perspective is enough to take things that people have already played before in Super Metroid and still make them feel like completely new and different and immersive yeah, environmental. It's like what uh, Ocarina of Time is to A Link to the Past, essentially. That's a pretty good comparison, I'd say. Yeah. yeah. Though that being said, Ocarina of Time still features, like, it's, if you look at Ocarina's dungeons, which you would argue probably the meat of the game, uh, they're designed pretty vastly differently than the dungeons in Link to the Past. True. Whereas, like, you go through an area in Metroid Prime, and you could you honestly can see the Metroid like DNA in it <laughs> as like long vertical shafts with jumps that you have to make, and these like lots of areas that are straight shots from one door to the other with like a dangerous floor <laughs> like all these kind of thing enemies that rotate around platforms <laughs> very like very to the T yeah. that's probably like a symptom of Retro Studios just being fans of Super Metroid <laughs> and then being told they can work on a Metroid game yeah they're like we want to do all the things that, that Metroid does right they even managed, not completely, but most of the time, to work in gradients between areas in a way that's very reminiscent of those old, older Metroid titles, where you'll be going through a place, and you'll, as you go through these different tunnels, begin to like notice differences in the environment. Like you can actually just start digging deeper and go from like the Talon Overworld top layer into this like weirder, rooty underground, until you reach an elevator. That gets you to an another area with another set of gradation. Uh, my favorite example of this in the game is uh, go starting out at and going through like Fender Drifts, mm -hmm. where you go from like Winter Wonderland to like crazy dark underground science research facility, and there's never really like a sharp delineation to it, and you just more technology just keeps showing up. Yeah, I think in. Uh in retrospect, that area, the fin Findara Drifts or whatever, thun uh, Thundara <laughs> from Thundercats, uh, <laughs> that area is, like, my actual favorite area in the game, like that, uh, I don't know, biome, I guess? Yeah, biome, weirdly appropriate. <laughs> yeah, it, it's super good, and uh, 
we were having a, a discussion about the music, me and Andy were, a while ago, and while I think that it's probably on the weaker side in terms of, like, individual tracks, I think that it fits the area well enough uh, that, like, the whole experience of being in that area is really sort of pleasing. That we're in the first little, like, I don't know, the tingles uh, after you break through all the ice and you, you open into, into the snowy, like, the snowscape for the first time. The little, like, dun 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 dun. Oh, right. Dun, 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 dun. It's classic. I love it forever. And I'll, it's, uh, it was actually on my phone for a very long time until my phone exploded and I lost all music that I owned. But it was, it was it's a wonderful track in the game. It's a wonderful way to introduce you to uh, the environment. It's, oh. I kind of I spoiled that a bit this time around, uh, <laughs> because there's you know there's like a um, a morph ball bomb jumping puzzle in that little tunnel mm-hmm. in the in in the lava area. Yes, right before that, and I tried it, got kind of low on energy, ran, just sprinted in, ran to the safe room, <laughs> ran right back. And just did the the jumper puzzle, and it took me like two lives or whatever. But I eventually got it, and uh... I'm really glad that you guys managed to figure out how to triple bomb jump. Uh, I've been I, I've been double bomb jumping since uh, 1999 or whenever I played Super Metro for the first time. I'm not questioning credibility, just noting that it's like somewhere on the like video game player report card. I need to stamp right beside it. Yeah, that's true. A plus is it true? Uh, you don't like my report card comparisons, Andy? <laughs> Why don't you just, speak up? I find it amusing. Hey, you notably, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into because you had a quite an amusing finale. Oh yeah. Uh, did not do that double bomb jump. I did not. In fact, didn't even stop to look at it <laughs> in any way. Uh, <laughs> that that showed by the end of the by the end of the your play experience with yeah. this game. Uh, so, in the vein of it being a lot like other Metroid games, uh, one of the things that Metroid games are very much known for, and in fact are almost like a genre-defining trait of them, is the, like, Metroid backtracking after you've gotten a new thing, like, exploration elements. And the game, this game, I'd say does at least a serviceable job of making it less... Uh, it doesn't feel like you're really just running back to some godforsaken room <laughs> to, like, bomb every corner of a room like you do in... in like, Fusion had a few moments where you would be like, uh, I know there's a place where I can use this, but I have no reason to go back there. So you, like, make a trek through all this shit that you don't necessarily need to be in, just to get to the thing so you can check to see if you can get the item. Mm-hmm. Uh, Prime does a slightly better job of that, of being like, you're going to be traveling through these areas anyway a lot of the time, and so you'll sort of revisit things and see those like uh, areas where before you couldn't get to them uh, more naturally, I think, in this game. yeah. Um, it, one of the things that I think really makes the way that they handle backtracking for items better than something like Fusion is how much easier the game imparts information to you. It's 
you remember you I remember you complaining on the fusion cast where you felt like half of the functionality of power bombs was just like universal room tester where you would just use the power bomb to see what all the blocks could possibly do around you so you could see exactly what you needed to use everywhere and come back if you didn't have it here the scan visor fills in a lot of that information gathering role where assuming you learn all what all the rock structures mean you can pretty much know exactly what item you need the first time you get into any room it, even if you don't know what the name of that item is or what it does yet you can just be like oh this is another one of those weird yellow track things right yeah so if you recall on the Metro Infusion episode that we did, mm-hmm. uh, I was less upset about the use of the super bomb and the use of just bombing the floor generally than both of you were. I strongly prefer that to the scan visor. Aww. I hate the fucking scan visor. <laughs> Why you hate scan visors? <laughs> I have to get into the scan visor yeah. so fast. I'm not a fan of the scan visor either. Uh, it, it's so it's such like a a, a speed bump for fun, <laughs> where <laughs> you'll run into a room and want to just play the video game, mm-hmm. and the scan visor makes you stop, change visors where you can't do anything while it's active other than look around, mm-hmm. use the stupid R controls to look around the room like a drunk guy looking for his keys. And then take, like, a good four seconds per item to scan everything and read its dumb text description or choose to skip it. And I feel like this game desperately wants you to read all of its text because it gives you, like, a logbook that you can fill out and, like, all the creatures have, like, unique... Uh, descriptions and also like like a tips and hints strategies page uh, which is a thing that I love uh, which I'll get into in order to balance out how much I hate the scan visor mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but it still takes so much time and so much like not game playing to accomplish and like every room will have like 30 things it's like yeah. in uh uh, the world ends with you, and we talked about like we'd stopped using the scan function after like three rooms because they were just full of shit and none of it seemed to matter. That's the same way with the scan visor. It was always like the last resort when I couldn't figure out a puzzle to be like, oh, you know what? I bet there's a red thing on the wall I have to scan in order to get through the door. I was going to ask why it, it seemed like you were still consistently using the scan visor despite how much you seemed to think that it's like an impediment to your fun because part of the reason that they have so much lorry bullshit is <laughs> so that the reason that they, they hide it away all under all these scan visor functionalities is so that like in so many games that do lore correctly you can just skip it if you don't care about it and just want to engage it like a video game mm-hmm. and, and but this game I can see what you mean by comparatively has a lot of times where the scan visor is absolutely necessary for progression and a lot of that stuff won't be signaled in a way that isn't just like a red to scan button, which mm-hmm. is no problem for me, who is always scanning everything because they like reading the text, <laughs> right. uh, but would be a problem if it's not signaled elsewhere outside yeah. the scan visor. It's yeah, that. it's the way that those things are like m- mixed together. Like it, it severs the game into two halves where like 
you go into the room, you're like, okay, I'm going to do the part where I scan everything. Takes out in two weeks, we're talking about severed. <laughs> <laughs> As you were saying. So, it, <laughs> you enter the room, and you're like, okay, now I do the scanning part. Okay, scanning's over, now I can play the game. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, um, yeah, it's the fact that there's just so much of it that... Like, in my playthrough, like, I was like, oh, this stuff's all really important. I gotta scan everything. Right. And then, like, I quickly realized, like, most, like, 95% of this <laughs> is pointless. So I stopped doing it and then kept getting stuck because I kept, like, I was like, oh, just scan a thing. Right. To, to move forward. Which and example? To the game's absolute credit, because I think the game does deserve a lot of credit. Yeah. Uh, it really eases up as you go on. Because, like, in the first, like, three hours, four hours of the game, so, like, the first, like, third, there are at least two or three areas where the puzzle is just scan four things in a room and then scan the door. And it's, like, that kind of thing is, like, frustratingly dumb. Because, especially, like, okay, the room that I, when I walked into it while you were watching me play when I first started the game, and I was just, like, fuck this room, because I hate this room. The room is, like, it's got an acid floor, and then there's stupid scythe enemies that you can't kill, they just, like, go back into their little hole, Mm -hmm. and you have to scan four things. But to know that you have to scan four things, you have to traverse the room, find the door, Which is all the way at the top. (laughs) The (laughs) other side of the room. Figure, like, oh. So if you were just scanning everything, I'm sure that would be, like, not even a thing. You just walk in, scan, you're like, oh, look, this rune's activated. Sick. I love activating rooms. It's like my favorite thing <laughs> to do. That's why I became a bounty hunter. And then you proceed, you get to the door, you're like, oh, maybe there's like one rune I'm missing. You like about face scan the last one. You're like, all right, good to go. Right. But if you're me, you go through the whole room, get to the door, and you're like, fuck. Andrew, go back down, <laughs> fall in the acid a couple of times. Andy sits a cup down on the table, and I turn around to look at it, and in the meantime, I fall into an acid pit. That actually totally happened. happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, like, that kind of a thing was kind of annoying. But by the end of the game, you know, you almost never have to stop for stuff. Especially if you have, like, the like uh, memory to know exactly, like, what, like, certain enemies require and how to destroy things based on, like, looks. Oh, yeah. It's super easy to just sort of, like, bound through rooms, joyously blasting everything in sight and picking up all the items. I mean, obviously, the further you get in the game, the more of these same areas that you have to retread you've already been through once before, So the f- and the more abilities you have to get through those same rooms and challenges way faster. Right. It's like how crazy liberating it is to go back to the Chozo ruins after you have the double jump. Like, everything's so unbelievable fa- unbelievably fast. It's like the entirety of the ruin shrunk just because you got the ability to jump twice as far. Right. Yeah, the the double jump's a big... Uh, it's like... Eh. It, I was going to say it's the most fun upgrade in the game, but I think that that just goes to the Morph Ball. Because the Morph Ball is incredible in this game. Uh, I do want to get into that. But I was wondering if there's anything else in the Scan Visor because I have an elite... Segway. You have an okay. Oh, oh, it's ruined now because you acknowledged it's it. It's ruined, yeah. ruins. So the scan visor <laughs> does open up this uh, <laughs> uh, this one cool thing, which is I really like the taxonomy of the like 
Creatures of Talon 4? Oh, or yes. Talon 4? I don't know how to it's pronounce Talon. it. It's Talon. It's two L's. Well, yeah, but Talon, the, the thing that birds have, has one L. Yeah. Oh. Uh, or the organization that Widowmaker belongs to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, the Creatures of Talon 4, the creature design generally, and this is true in, I want to say, like, just every Metroid game, uh, is outstanding. And the thing that I had Andy remind me of uh, was it was the in the Doom podcast. I said they did a really good job of updating, like taking the sprites of the iconic monsters from the original Doom games and bringing them into a 3D world. And I think that this game does an equally excellent job with the monsters from uh, the original Metro games. Yeah. Yeah, Nintendo has just been really good about that with all their franchises. Mm -hmm. It feels like they somehow managed to take enemies that in most other games would be like so transparent as just like video game whatever creatures and somehow make them in the context of the game be passed off as like organisms that are believably around. Like, friggin' the puffers. Like literally, just like floating balls of gas explosions. It's like that's it's one of the tropiest of trope video like video game enemies you could have. Right. But somehow they have like enough like metallic tubes and pipes everywhere that they slowly move out of, and that they sort of float around in the sky. That they make it seem like even those stupid goddamn puffers still might just be a thing that like oh these might have a reason to exist. These seem important to the local environment. I bet these you know suck up toxins. Or <laughs> they're like. Like the coughings of this world. Yeah. You're killing my soul right now, by the way, because I was talking to, <laughs> to Andy a little bit earlier uh, when we were uh, just admiring the puffers. Mm -hmm. And we were like, I was like, I fucking love puffers. Like, they're, <laughs> they're so good as an enemy because, like, it's like a living thing that kind of floats around and just, like, like poop stuff out and like they're just like super pr like this is an enemy that I've seen in other games but like even it like existed in in at least Metroid Fusion I remember them specifically I'm not sure about the other games yeah the lower fidelity you get the harder it is to know that it's exactly the same but yeah like it's it's just an update of that and like that was like one of my shining examples <laughs> and you come in you're like just the dumbass fucking puppers <laughs> <laughs> my point is that in in every other context we've seen them in, they were dumbass fucking puffers. Right. Like in Fusion, there was like, oh, there's the puff things, and they, we you can just transparently see that they're just like a set of mechanical challenges for you to overcome. But in Prime, they're an important part of a balanced ecosystem. And, and a balanced breakfast. Yeah. And you kill them anyway. <laughs> Are they supposed to be like living things? Because I thought that they were just robots. Well, that, it doesn't matter. It's sort of, this game <laughs> constantly bridges the gap between things that are just around. Like, robots are just around in right. this game. I can confirm that they are living things, though, because its scan information mm -hmm. describes it as, like, a living organism. Yeah. There you go. Interesting. Yeah. And it brings up the, like, two... This is the best part of the whole scanner, by the way. Yeah. This is not saying a whole lot for the scanner. My favorite part of it is the fact that when you scan, like, a... When you get, like, a creature... Log. Uh, log, why, why are you putting, like, quotation marks around Because I couldn't remember log. the second one, so I'm making sure you know that this is a paraphrase. Mm. Uh, creature's entry, that's what it is. 
it like brings up those little pictures of it, but like one at a time, slowly. Where it's like, here's a profile shot, and like here's an X-ray of its brain. <laughs> <laughs> like this is dope. All right, I'm sold. Bring me more of these. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad you like the brain X-rays. Yeah, this game just generally has a really good way of do, like physically representing data. If that's I don't, what I'm getting at here is not just the images that pop up on the scan visor, but also like the way that you interact with the map screen, the thing, little literal things that are on the screens in the world, how they look. I was a, uh, I was actually a little bit confused, and I don't know if you can actually shed light on this or if it's just like a specific video game, like mechanical necessity type uh-huh. thing. So when you find like information nodes. They're, like, represented as, like, holograms of the, like, that shape that's all over the place. It's, like, the scan shape. Yeah. Uh, And you scan it, and you get information, and that's what it's for. Yeah. But the Chozo artifacts are just, I guess, actual physical ones of those. (laughs) Because you scan them, and it tells you that it's a Chozo artifact and gives you whatever information... But you have to actually pick it up. Like, you have to walk over to it. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, what the hell is that? I w- and why is it the <laughs> symbol for everything? <laughs> well, isn't Samus's technology all Chozo technology? Samus herself, the, re- the big reveal in this game, if you read all the lore information, is that Samus is, like, half Chozo. Like, she's a Chozo-human hybrid. <laughs> I forgot about that piece <laughs> of that puzzle. But yeah, she does have, what is it, like fucking biographs or some nonsense? I don't know the prime stuff. Like, because it's, it's a separate, like, canon from oh. the main games. Uh, yeah, I'm going to guess that's a yes, probably. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, I always always had the idea on the scan visor that uh, by the holograms, you're talking about not the little orange and red squares that pop up in the scan visor, right. but the literal things that you use to, like, control elevators in the world. Right. And oh. they'll have, like, space pirate data sometimes. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think those are literally the same object, even though they're two blue holographic intersecting circles with chunks on the outside. Well, see, there's the one, the, the or- they're orange ones that, like, are just, okay, so the best example of this is the area where you fight Meta Ridley. Yeah. The first time you get there, yeah, uh, you walk in and then there's uh, like a hologram just in the middle of the hallway of that orange thing with like the chunks. Oh yeah. And then you go into the 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 boss arena, but obviously Meta Ridley's not there yet, and there's uh, an artifact, and the artifact is the, <laughs> literally the same little cheese wheel, but it's white and has orange. Like accents. You see, the orange cheese wheel you're talking about there, that pirate lore is. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) It is literally the space pirates have, like, with a representation in their data of what those artifacts look like. That's Uh, what that is. It's them going, it's like a literal picture of a screen, like, oh, that's what these things are. Because the lore is about those things. Right. Yeah. But they have to. Okay. These, okay, there's a lot of places I can go, literally just from pirate lore. I don't know if you guys have other topics or an expansion on like the information. Yeah, I always thought that that symbol looked like a gear. Yeah, is it's it's w- weird that neither of you referred to it as such. Like the cheese wheel with the, the chunks. <laughs> 
anything that is like represented as a circle with a piece taken out of it, that's a cheese wheel. Hundred <laughs> percent. Look, it's the the gear thing is just it's just mystic it's like mystical techno spiritual. Yeah, but it looks nonsense. kind of organic. Right. And I think what? that's the point. Like the shape? The shape looks or- oh organic in the sense of like representations of DNA or something. Yeah, like it's not. Yeah, it's not like just a gear. Okay, I can see this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that was, glad we cleared that solved. up. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I like the scan visor, but I like I like lore, and I like the way that it helps make everything in this game uh, look like it's just pieces of an environment that you're trying to learn about through future technology instead of like the game constantly having to like break the, the fourth wall and just like have pop-ups if, if I remember correctly the only time the game really does that and, and breaks the illusion that you're inside of Samus's helmet looking out of a screen into the environment is like right at the very very beginning when they're teaching you how to like lock on and shoot things yeah, and grapple and all that good stuff yeah uh, yeah there's um I mean, there are other, like, pop-up menus that come up occasionally. It'll tell you whenever you pick up a new, like, object what that is. It'll be like, oh, you got the Bazon suit or whatever. Um, which is, you know, I mean, honestly, that kind of stuff is fine. It's like a 13-hour game. They really can't expect you to, like, be fully immersed the whole time. Mm-hmm. Because it would just be, like, it would be exhausting to have to like deal with this game without like the developer intended hints that exist. Um, it's crazy that they managed to go as far as they did for a GameCube game in 2002. This game holds up incredibly well. Yeah. Uh, like out like I was blown away <laughs> with the exception of the the control scheme <laughs> which is frankly baffling. <laughs> uh when I went to replay it, and fortunately, as we're doing a podcast, I was uh, obligated to play more than five minutes of the game, uh, <laughs> because I think now, in 2017, if I picked up a game that controlled like this, I would go like, uh, and like kind of step away from it and be like, I'm just going to play something that understands how to use a controller. <laughs> but once you get into it, like it becomes, it feels more natural. My problem was I just had a really difficult time controlling Samus's motion a lot of the time mm-hmm. because you end up like stri- like you'll be locked on and you'll turn left but you'll actually just strafe into a pit of lava or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really sucks not to be able to turn around quickly. Yeah, you did like a Resident Evil turn quick turn. <laughs> yeah, thing. A this quick game, turn would have been really good. This game already uses like every button it could possibly have available to that it. That is though. true. But yeah. that might be because of its own errors, you know, <laughs> in a way that it needs to dedicate the L button to looking around when yeah. one stick could have done both looking and... We even... So, in the Wii version, I was, like, totally going to go into a thing, but now this needs to be talked about. Okay. In the Wii version, when you change visors or beams, you do it by, like, pointing at them. It brings up, like, a little wheel. Yeah. And you, like, yeah. do that. And presumably that's like a that that's because the console itself just doesn't have anywhere near as many buttons as, an, as a GameCube controller does, or at least not like in a functional layout that makes sense for you to use. Uh, so why? Like I feel like it's so it would have been so simple to have just done the same thing in the GameCube version where you make it 
hold R and y- and move the C stick or the analog stick to choose visors or beams, and then use the C stick normally for camera control. Like I'm, I'm not going to speculate about hypothetical better control schemes in the GameCube era for this. We know they exist by, by virtue of time. Like I don't think yeah. we need to even argue there's a better version because yeah. nothing controls like this anymore. Yeah. Like there were arguments that people had years and years ago that have mostly been played out by now because no one talks about Metroid Prime anymore. They do. They will in the future now that four got announced again and it's all back into the zeitgeist. Right. Uh, but yeah, capitalizing on that sudden burst of popularity. <laughs> Good work, guys. <laughs> but like, there was a there was a big movement where people were like, "Is this even technically a first person shooter?" Because this is like pre Wii days. This is back during like Metroid Prime One and Two. Uh, we were like, "Because you just auto lock on to everything by holding down a button, and you don't. You only." You, it has like a weird alternative control that you almost never have to use for free aim. Mm-hmm. So and God help you if you <laughs> want to free aim because it like Samus mimics the the control stick motion in a one to one manner in that she also has a dead zone and when you if you push up there's no fine adjustment you have to like keep pressure there in order to keep it moving, because if you let the joystick fall back, she returns to resting position. Mm -hmm. So it's... uh, (laughs) uh, It's so hard to aim. (laughs) The the point is that I think going in with the expectation that this is a shooter with shitty controls, I don't even think was necessarily what they were trying to do when they were making the game. They were just like... What's the best control scheme for a 3D action game? Like, I, like, and they hadn't. Like, this is so early, so far before anything close to like what would come to be known in the generation after it as like the 3D environmental exploration standard of things like the Assassin's Creeds and lots of other like third-person games where you're going through a space. I feel sure. like if they had more time, resources, processing power, etc., they're there, there could have been a whole lot of other reasons they could have picked different schemes or even different perspectives. I'm really happy they went with the first-person perspective because of all the cool shit they got to do with all the different visors and the way that you interact with technology around you. But I feel like their goal wasn't even necessarily let's create a system where you can look at what you want to look at, point and shoot as fast as possible. I think they were mostly just wanting you to be able to like move through spaces and just try to like push all of that sort of stuff to the side by just giving you a lock-on button. And they hoped that that would remove most of the issues. And it doesn't, clearly, <laughs> especially in retrospect. Uh, I just I feel like they weren't even really trying to make a good shooter control set. They just had their own weird individual goals that no one had really tried before the first Metroid Prime and ended up working well enough, thank God, because there's a lot of other things in this game that made up for it, uh, made up for its meh control scheme. That's true. Yeah, so it's like they were just trying to adapt Metroid to 3D, and that's just kind of how they went with it. <laughs> yeah. I honestly, I don't even necessarily disagree, and, and like I said, like, past the getting your sea legs portion of the game, uh, you really, like... It becomes a lot easier to, like, Mm -hmm. navigate and, like, figure things out. And, I mean, even now, like, it took me a while, yeah, to get back into and to actually understand what I was doing, but playing through it again recently, going through some of the earlier areas of the game, 
I was like, you know, just bounding across gaps. Like it, it becomes, it's kind of fun because you have like that halo jump, like that just feels like it's maybe a little bit too high, but obviously the game's tuned around it. So mm-hmm. you just like a super, like, athlete, like, it's like spacey athleticism <laughs> <laughs> because it's, you're, you jump really far inexplicably. So like you just sort of, can jump like huge gaps and like jumping around just feels good and then you like morph ball and fly around it's great maybe inexplicably it's like rockets in her feet she's <laughs> feet rockets once you get the space jump boots which i'm not gonna get into the logic of why can't she just space because it does it's not like a fuel meter she should just be able to fly let's get let's be real but <laughs> uh just like her basic jump is like super long and feels like lightweight but appropriately so so it, it's all like it's all very good like game feel oh yeah you're very floaty and i love the fine control that you have over the second jump and the super jump it makes a lot of the platforming sec- sections way way more bearable because a lot of times in 3d games it's so easy to like mess up single arc jumps so giving you the second jump and also giving it enough fine control that you can essentially just correct your own errors mid-air beautiful it's something that a lot of other like 2d platformers do and helps a lot in the 3D space. Yeah. Uh, 3D platforming is not a... To this day, is a a genre that hasn't exactly been solved. Like, there's still a lot of issues in a lot of platformers, even as far up as... uh, Like, you could claim that, like, Mario is, like, uh, the pinnacle of, like, a 3D platformer. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times, even those games tend to have, like, problems where you're not able to, like, you're not, like, 100% sure that, like, a thing is in the perspective you're in gonna be, like, able to land on. They do as much as they can to mitigate that. Um, Sunshine had a bad camera. 64 also had a bad camera, but <laughs> coincidentally it was also slightly older, so they didn't have the, like, verb set. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, in Galaxy, everything's, like, very contained because everything's on that like spherical More planet. fixed camera angles. And yeah, stuff. It makes it a lot. Uh, so it's commendable that this game does so much platforming and doesn't make it feel like a total slog, at least like seventy percent of the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. First person platforming, especially yeah. is like especially like in two thousand two, right. <laughs> They're, this is pre-Mirror's Edge. Yeah. The, the first-person platforming was not even really yeah, considered like the a part where, where you're, like, uh, swinging across on those... The huckster it, fish? The huckster <laughs> fish to the mushrooms. This is fucking... It's pretty rough. Huckster yeah. fish? This is the nickname that I gave the fish while watching Andy uh, attempt this. Uh, they're these, like, floating... Grapply, yeah, fish. they're just like yeah. floating platforms, <laughs> right? Yeah, they're floating platform people that you can grapple to. What makes them hucksters? <laughs> because they just like they're like, hey, we're gonna head over this way. Just kidding, and they'll like <laughs> take this awkward fucking path through the air, and you'll like because okay, so these are really count. These are room full of hunter metroids. Yeah, and by full of, I mean as full of as as rooms get in this game. They're like four. Yes. Uh, <laughs> And you have to jump to the fish, but the fish keeps moving, and you have to leave the ground to to grapple it and make it to the other side. Yes. <laughs> that fish would not cooperate with Andy for even, like, <laughs> one second. 
It was a it was a real good time. Yeah. Uh, to be. You, you had to like jump up. You did do the double jump and then hit R and like move the camera <laughs> up. Like and then hit L to grapple it. It's like the most awkward thing. Like <laughs> like it's it was like so involved to the point where like I felt like an old person playing a video game because I'm like leaning back. <laughs> Like, I'm like, come on. Whoa. It's like, it requires... I remember talking about this on the Assassin's Creed 2 episode where I was, cause I was playing on a keyboard. I was, like, holding five buttons and using mouse buttons at the same time, and I felt like my hands were going to explode because they were just, like, reaching critical mass. This is exactly trying to latch onto the huckster fish because you end up, like... You're like, all right, so the button combination here is B, B, R, control stick, hold L... <laughs> release R, wait, then release L. But actually pulling that off in the correct timing is like <laughs> insufferably hard. Dude. And then guys... that jump is hard to make. Yeah. <laughs> you guys missed a platform somewhere. There is no there is nowhere I don't think there's a single time and I've played through Metroid Prime like God, maybe half a dozen times or more just on the GameCube version alone, mm-hmm. will you ever have to move your perspective with the C-stick in air? It's just not a thing. Well, no, you're not changing the perspective in air. Well, okay. Sorry, I keep saying with the C-stick because I'm so right. used to twin-stick controls. You never have to, like, free aim while falling to do shit. You have two options, right? The first one is to get the angle correct before jumping, mm-hmm. which you don't have to free him in midair. However, the <laughs> fish, being a talented huckster, <laughs> will just veer the fuck off course <laughs> immediately upon your jump, and then you will just plummet to the ground below and have to jump back up the mushrooms. It really, this is another way in which the creatures of Metroid Prime come alive. (laughs) I imagine the fish, who's not even a fish, realistically, because it's a floating object, but I imagine him, like, twirling a mustache as he, like, turns slightly as you make the jump. Gotcha. I didn't even mean personifying them like the huckster that you seem to perceive this fish to be. I just meant, like... If you're not a bird and you're a flying animal or insect or whatever, you're normally flying a stupid fashion. Like if you watch a bug for any period of time, you lose like faith in evolution so fast. Fun fact: but, I mean, insects have such tiny brains, though. I know, and they're dumb. For how you don't know the, the size of the brain on the huckster fish. We don't know the size of the brain on the huckster fish. <laughs> uh, one thing. To note, by the way, there are two uh, types of like, like, um, yeah, what is it? What is it, like etymologically speaking, mm-hmm. uh, bugs can have either like it can have multiple forms of flying, and the thing that is referred to in the bugs that you're talking about is clumsy flying, <laughs> which tends to be the domain of like beetles and other arthropods. Mm. So. That is, and honestly, I find that shit terrifying because that bug, whether it wants to or not, is going to collide with your face, mm-hmm. which is part of the reason why I have like a, a fear of bugs. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, like 
other bugs can totally control where they're going. Like, a bee is like a, you know, it, it knows what's up yeah. when it comes to flying. Bees are like the they're the top gun <laughs> aviators of the uh, of the insect world. The huckster fish falls into the latter category. It can clean knows where it's going. It's not just fucking around. Uh, also, I love that we perceive it as a fish just because it's flat in a way that creatures aren't <laughs> normally flat. Yeah, like a flounder of some kind. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> You're gonna call it the flounder of the sky because that's where I was going. I, I was trying to come up with something, right? Mm-hmm. So that whole discussion, I think, uh, the thing that I want to get into uh, are sort of talking about Samus's abilities and how they work in the game itself. Yeah, and then we'll get into like an actual mechanical discussion, including things on like bosses. Yeah. That is a big important thing, but I think we should probably take a break. I can go on for a while. I'm very happy. Yes. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, the last thing I think I said was that it's super awesome to like fly around um, in the morph ball. Yeah, flying is cool. And I feel like there's we could easily structure a lot of the mechanical conversation in this game outside of the already lengthy discussion on controls that we had uh, based on the power-ups that Samus gets. Because like in other Metroid games, you start this game like fully powered, or however you want to say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you lose everything because of an explosion, uh, and then you chase Ridley to Talon Four. Uh, so then, as in every Metro game ever, your quest is basically to go around and pick up all of your missing armor pieces that have been like haphazardly scattered around the planet for an unknown reason. <laughs> now, each of these changes the way that you play. I want to say pretty significantly. Except for the ones that are just purely gating things. Like, the different suits are a big one, where it's just, like... The only reason that you have the Varia suit, as opposed to, like, the standard power armor, is because you have to go into a hot place. Mm-hmm. So you put on the Varia suit to get there. And notably, this game is, like... Albeit the game in the Metroid series to this point where you see Samus the least, uh, the one where she's in the the Varia suit, like the traditional Metroid armor, for like the smallest amount of time. <laughs> True. Mm-hmm. Which I guess gave the Smash Brothers artists a lot to work with when it came to like extra costumes, because I think you can get all of them as uh, like alternate outfits for. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, other than that, though, you get, what, four beams, one that you start with, so you pick up three beams, you get double jump, morph ball, bombs, super bombs, missiles, super missiles, the charge beam, and all the the optional combination beams. Yeah, wave beam. Right. Uh, plasma beam. Spider ball beam. is a thing. <laughs> Right, lots of all the different visor combinations. Right, lots of different ways that they sort of pluck little stuff in. Some are less memorable than others, oftentimes because you just find them. I still remember when I was a kid, just like being floored when I just like came upon the gravity suit, just like in a cave underwater. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
great, yeah, the greater suit also just sort of like, and that was not even like, I mean, I'm sure it's necessary for progression, but like, you just sort of can, you are fine in water mm-hmm. until you get in, then you can move slightly faster. It has the same function as it does in every other Metroid game, but it's still, it's an interesting inclusion. Um, also, the boost ball, as I mentioned, the, the most ball. underused item in the whole game. Not enough ramps for you? Not enough, well, the too many ramps. <laughs> I think they should have done away with boost ball as a concept entirely. Uh, as much as I liked using it to, like, very, like, obscenely quickly traverse areas, uh, the half-pipe thing was, ooh, was that a dumb, horrible garbage concept. You don't like the half-pipes? Oh, no, it's terrible. I mean, they clearly overused the half-pipes, but, like, you can just do it in five seconds and then get out of the way. Well, maybe you can! (laughs) I was going to bring this up on the first half, and never did, because uh, I didn't want to seem like a jackass. But, <laughs> but like Fire Emblem, this is another one of those games that was on my like life rotation when I was a kid for such a long period of time that I have no concept of like difficulty related to doing anything in this game. Like, I got to uh, the phase on Mines this time in like four hours total on the game clock. All right. So... Uh, I I have no frame of reference anymore for how hard it is to execute on stuff like the platforming and the boost ball ramps and all the other little fiddly junk in the UI. I think, I don't know, that seems like, the first time in the phase on mines, that seems like a fairly reasonable time frame. Uh, Assuming that you do mean the first time you get to the phase on mines and not when you go back to fight, like, the Omega Pirate. I do, I do. Okay. Uh... I mean, I, like, that shows the, like, just memorization of the rooms in this game. Um, but, I don't know. It's it's not, like, a super difficult game. It just has a few areas that are hard. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually had kind of a difficult time with... Uh, I kept calling him Foie Gras, even though I know that isn't his name. Flagra? That's the, the flower? The flower man. Ooh. This time through, for some reason, he just, like, massacred me several times before I discovered that the optimal strategy is to walk in a circle. Uh, <laughs> it's super easy once you figure that out. Mm-hmm. But I was, like, doing a thing where I'd, like, shoot him, stun him, and then, like, go into Morph Ball and, like, fly around the arena as fast <laughs> as I could, get to the second mirror, like, oh, I already knocked back the other one. And he killed me, like, a couple of times. Uh, <laughs> that was a wall for me, too. Really? Yeah. He's complicated to... I mean, he's like a puzzle boss, I guess. So it's one of those things that once you figure it out, it's sort of... That's the boss, clicks. I think, that, like, makes you really learn the controls. Yeah. Like it's like it's like that's like the barrier to entry. Like once you get past that, like you're probably good to go. Right. Also, I think he's he's probably. Uh, we talked a lot, a lot about bosses in Metroid Fusion, um, and how we liked pretty much all of them except the non-threatening bouncy stock man, and the mole man. <laughs> and the mole. Well, even then, we still kind of liked the mole man, even he though he was he was just a Mega Man boss. Uh, <laughs> In this game, I like almost zero of the bosses. Like I, it's I think the weakest part of the game for me, and much like those uh, rooms with the like stupid scan visor puzzles, <laughs> they drop off pretty quick after the first couple of hours. Like the first few hours of this game, you fight a boss every like ten minutes, or at least like a boss-like yeah. thing. Uh, Mini bosses, as people who play video games sometimes call <laughs> them. It's a it's a boss light. 
Uh, yeah, there's like two bo- mini bosses and a boss in the Chozo ruins. Yeah, and so you go through all this, and it's like, I mean, the mini bosses I think are generally fine. Uh, the band, no, uh, the, the mini bosses in the game are I think okay, but the actual bosses that have like a health bar. Uh, most of them I feel like I could do without, and Flaw might actually be, like, one of the best, in my opinion. Uh, I'm glad you pointed that out. It's definitely sort of a a weird blind spot, this game. Like, all the bosses, I don't think they're bad. I, I just feel like a lot of them, because the game's so comparatively easy to something like Fusion, doesn't really have a lot of pressure when you're fighting them. Like, there's not a lot of tension, so they just seem like a slightly harder version of every other puzzle that you've kind of had to encounter. Like, you solve them in the same way that you solve everything, which is acquiring information, dodging projectiles that are coming to your face, and then locking on to the correct thing at the correct times. Right. Yeah, I didn't like that the solution, like with a lot of other things, was just to scan the boss to find out what to do to it. <laughs> like, there's the one, what is the the drips area the snow area yeah, yeah. oh the the she uh, not the shigora the <laughs> the shagara or whatever there's like the little uh, the guy with the icy yeah, carapace Shigoth or something Shigoth. Shigoth. Yes, yeah. correct. uh i i really didn't like that that boss was just like lock onto it and shoot it in the head with missiles right but the, what was hard about it is that you had to scan it to figure that out <laughs> yeah the the fewer things that you have to scan uh, the better. Yeah. <laughs> well, when it comes to a boss fight, yeah. I would say that's true. And the problem is that the fact that this game doesn't have, like, a corpse running or whatever. Like, you just die and go back to a save. Meaning that if there's something gated behind the scan, you have to scan it again because the game doesn't even know that you did it. Mm-hmm. So, you can't, like, retry that boss by going in and shooting missiles at its head. You have to go in, scan it again to get the lock-on point, then lock-on, then shoot missiles at its what? head. What? It's not true at all. No, oh, well, I'm not actually 100% on that. Oh, yeah. It is true on the uh, Parasite Queen. Yeah. I thought you were, I thought uh, in that case you were talking about, like, literal, actual lock-off points where you had to, like, freaking for the hundredth time scan the clue to the puzzle that you've done three times to get back you to do the have to do box. that as well which right. is lame yeah uh, but yeah that kind of a thing things where and that's just because of the inconvenience of save rooms which we've already talked about in the fusion podcast yeah. i think it works in metroid and i think that they you know they design the game around the idea of you having to backtrack to save points and they'll even put things between your destination and the closest save point that you can now access to make it, like, not a total waste of time. Uh, But it does, like, boss runs are not even, like, a thing. Like, because it is just, like, the first time over and over again. There's not, like, any improvement or uh, anything that you can take from the boss fight into the next one other than your own knowledge. so It's very similar to a lot of Zelda bosses, or at least the way that I perceive a lot of Zelda bosses in that way, and that most of them you beat on your very first time attempting them. Uh, but I, I do think, especially in Prime 1, the bosses are a little bit worse than Zelda bosses because you don't actually play the game to figure out the way that you beat them. Mm-hmm. You play the scan visor to figure out the way that you beat them. Right. Uh, and, you know, as we discussed, upsides and downsides to that, but it definitely makes the bosses way weaker because it fails to differentiate them from any other challenge in the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
No, it, was, it really is, because not only that, but, like, a lot of them are just tall versions of other things in the game. Uh, yeah. Like, obviously, the Metroid Prime and uh, Meta Ridley are exceptions to that, but, like, the Omega Pirate's a big space pirate. One of the... I forget what they're called. Like, the tall... The moderate-sized pirates. <laughs> yeah, medium pirates. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which are super easy to kill. Yeah. But then the Omega Pirate... Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> Fuck that guy heartily. Um, but we'll... Yeah, yeah that, that we'll get to that immediately uh, after this point. Basically, just like, yes, everything is just like a big version of another thing. And once again, uh, Flagara, fla- Flagara, Flagellum... The that, praying mantis flower man. Yeah, is an exception to that and is cool because of it. <laughs> There's, it's really interesting to see uh, in the later games in the series how they sort of learned from the specific criticism, because I really think they did. Uh, like the amount of focus that they put in Prime 2 on you having one antagonist in just Dark Samus, and when you scan Dark Samus, most of the time the takeaway from that is just like, you're fucked, deal Get with that. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you have to like actually learn how to, sca- how to strafe correctly, and you, you know, it, it, it feels more like the mechanical challenge that... Uh, isn't present in this game, whereas much of them are just sort of giant, angry environmental challenges. I'm I'm curious as somebody who has more read any information on later games in the Prime trilogy. Yeah. Uh, like critically speaking, general, like what do people consider to be the best of the trilogy? Uh, definitely Prime One. Uh, Personally, I think there's, there's a debate over whether or not the motion controls really did make the game better. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, because the game was designed around not having motion controls, having them makes the game significantly easier, mm-hmm. or at least faster. Uh, but there are other... It, it's not that Prime 2 or 3 uh, are... Let's put it this way. Prime 2 or 3 have specific bad spots that sort of taint them, and especially retrospectively in the eyes of a lot of people. Prime 2 has a really, really shitty end game. Uh, based around finding the Sky Temple keys, it, uh, it's kind of exactly like in Prime One, where you have to find the. Uh... Well, it's it's worse <laughs> in Prime Two because one of the big like, like marquee features of the second Prime game is that you explore every environment kind of twice because it's a, a light world and a dark world version of everywhere that you go. Right. So when you're going for the key hunt, not only are you going on these item backtracks just like in the first game. We're going it through environments that are duplicates of each other to get both keys. Mm-hmm. So it ended up being a whole lot more grating and a lot less natural than a lot of the ways that you find the uh, Choza artifacts in one. Like I, like you get like you know four or five of the Choza Choza artifacts often before you're even at the end point of the game where they're like go find all twelve, 12 now. Right. You normally find like maybe one if any of the twelve Sky Temple keys in two. And Metroid Prime Three, that was. I think this is really interesting to me. I, this is something that, and this is, might be a huge tangent for the Prime 1 podcast, but I hope that people with the like popularity of Prime 4 coming back into the mix are going to look back at Prime 3 more favorably, because that came in like the heat of the Wii's life cycle, when like our motion control is a thing that we want or enjoy in video games, we're like, all in the rage. Right. Uh, I really enjoyed Prime 3 because I'm a person who never found the Wii's motion controls particularly problematic. And there's lots of tiny little immersive things that they threw in there that are motion-based, like uh, 
a lot of specific doors, not all doors, don't have a heart attack, Chad, but a lot of specific doors, you have to, like, reach out, grab a handle, open, twist it, and shove it back into place. I actually remember that. Yeah. Oh, God. And it works, <laughs> it works surprisingly well, and I thought it was cool as shit, but tons of other people uh, just thought that a lot of that stuff was, like, gimmicky. Just gimmicky, on it. Just gimmicky layers on top of, like, the wonderful Prime formula. Well, how do you feel about the uh, like the boss keys in Skyward Sword? In Skyward you Sword, you have to rotate them. To They're like them a dumb three the... D puzzle. I'm coloring my argument. <laughs> oh, oh uh, I'm trying to. Th- oh, it's been so long since I played Skyward Sword. I had to think about that for a second. But no, it's way easier than that because uh, than what you're thinking of there. Because it's like a physical mechanical switch. Like everything's gated. You so it's like... logical what you have to do, yeah. as opposed to yeah. illogical of you. Like you're like it's like a one to one. Like you pulling the thing out, twisting it, and, and pushing then pushing it, it back, back in. in. Yeah, that could be tolerable, I guess. Well, you can't overdo it in the same way that you can like over twist it on a skyward sword twisty puzzle right. like you twist it all the way one direction and your hand just goes like it hits the metal piece and stops right and okay. push it back in <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there's lots of stuff like that the phase on suit in three uh or no it was the ped in three if i remember correctly oh the like phase on energy device or something yeah yeah i remember reading about this because the metroid wikia does not care what game something is from so like when disco like uh i was looking up something about uh like the metroid prime Mm -hmm. uh and they just like threw in this like one-off line where they were like space pirates use the ped (laughs) to like use phazon to increase the power of their weapons and i was like why do you think that i have any idea what that is (laughs) yeah in prime 3 they give you essentially a super mode that costs you health uh, that a lot of people thought made things too easy or binary. And Prime 3's final boss is generally considered kind of terrible. So, lots of things in retrospect that made a 2 and 3 bad. I yeah. think Metroid Prime 1's bo- final boss is really terrible. <laughs> Which form? Which form? The really bad form is, pri- is like, Metroid Prime the carapace mode. Oh, you don't like carapace mode? It's a door. He is a door. What do you mean he's a door? That's what I've written in my notes. Like, I'm glad I took that note today. It's a very Chad uh, (laughs) way of uh, explaining things. Like, almost, like, everything in this game, for some reason, this is, like, my least favorite design decision they made, is that everything is just, like, a match color A to color A puzzle. (laughs) And, oh, and the Metroid Prime is just that. Like, he's, oh, he's red now. Shoot him with the red beam. If he's white now, shoot him with ice beam. And you just shoot him in the face, and it's just kind of hard to shoot him in the face. Like, a little bit hard. But your attention keeps getting divided. You have to deal with all the projectiles he shoots in the air, your direction. You have to strafe dodge effectively. You have to figure out the times to go into the ball and boost ball underneath of him in, in the little carapaces so that you can dodge his charges. I don't think it's actually that... I think you're giving it more credit than it deserves in terms of how complicated... It is not super easy. Yeah. It's just like... Have you ever been hit by the charge? Uh, In this last playthrough, did you get hit by the charge? No, I didn't. I was not hit by the charge. I feel like I've been hit by the charge, like, maybe twice... Because he spends, like, three minutes, like, getting himself situated on the wall, <laughs> like, the world's worst, like, Olympic sprinter getting ready, and, like, he's really trying to get on the blocks, and then he goes, and, like, gives you time to, like, leisurely finish your cup of tea, 
turn into the morph ball and then move maybe three inches to the left or right to roll into one of those little trenches. Okay. Can but we... I do agree with the, mi- like, when he shoots missiles, that's kind of tough to dodge. And you do have to, like, pay attention to the, like, pulsy balls. Yeah. For sure. Do we agree at the very least that phase one of the Metroid Prime is the closest thing that this game has to a real, like, mechanical challenge? Where it's not just a puzzle or an information gating that you have to do in order to win a boss. You have to, like, actually execute something correctly. Well, I think now would be a good time to talk about the Omega Pirate. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I didn't finish the game because I got stuck on the Omega Pirate. <laughs> uh, there's a good chance that had Andy beaten the Omega Pirate, he may have just, like, transcended life and <laughs> become a god of Metroid. Uh, well, why? Why? Because Andy made it to the Omega Pirate and, in fact, almost killed him several times on four energy techs. What? <laughs> uh, this happens to me with these kinds of games, like, especially when playing them fast for the podcast. Like, mm-hmm. I was just trying to plow through it and was, like, not exploring as much as I normally would. So I only had four energy tanks when I got there. <laughs> and 25 missiles. <laughs> and 25 missiles. He uh, almost killed him. He almost killed like, He got him down to, like, the last sliver of health, like, three or four times. Uh, I, yeah, I probably... How many times do you think I tried it? <laughs> it, was a, it was close to, like... It was at least 20. I think it, but I probably like it was not about more than 30. That. Okay. It's what it felt like. I, I quit my cast playthrough at the point that I told you about earlier where I just got to the phase on mines, because they're right. also kind of my least favorite individual section of the game. I'm not super committed to that, but it was just like a personal thing. I was like, eh, I know everything else from here. That's fair. I had 115 missiles. Yeah, that sounds about right. How do you... <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so sorry that the cast puts these pressures on you. <laughs> Well, you to try and beat games with four energy tanks, twenty-five well, missiles. Yeah, like I said, I hit a wall with the Mantis Man boss, right. and then like didn't actually make like any progress in the game till like Friday. <laughs> <laughs> so I played like eighty-five percent of the game in like the past day and a half. Yeah, the whole the whole sequence with the huckster fish, by the way, was especially notable and probably the reason why I like specifically noted it and, and like pointed it out. Because that was like essentially like an hour long segment without a save room where he was trying to grapple the fish at like thirty-five remaining energy. Oh. Like, it was like, we were like in the middle of this whole nerve-wracking segment where we were trying to die to, like, the Hunter Metroids or whatever, and then, like, <laughs> stuck on this stupid fish for, like, ten minutes, <laughs> going like, please, just let there be a save room somewhere nearby. There was. Fortunately, yeah. But, yeah, there was... It was a it was a butt clenching experience watching Andy play this game. <laughs> Were those your two big walls then? Oh yeah. Okay. I was wondering if you had any other like specific wall experiences playing through it. I'm trying to. I know that on my first playthrough of this game in 2002, <laughs> uh, 15 years ago, uh, and honestly, my second one wasn't even like too bad, but I know my first playthrough I had zero walls, um, 
because like a child playing a Metroid game, I got every fucking item. In fact, I finished the game, I remember this, I took a Polaroid photo of it because that's the era of time <laughs> that this happened in, and I happened to have a Polaroid camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, I finished the game with 98% completion on my first playthrough of it nice. because I was just scouring everything, and I was so pissed that I missed whatever it was that like knocked me down a couple percentage points. Um, Getcha. But yeah, that fucking... Uh, the the Omega Pirate is not like super easy your first couple of tries, but with a reasonable number of energy <laughs> tanks, can usually just sort of be killed and and, and moved on with. Agreed. This most recent playthrough, Flagra, was definitely my like one actual wall, and it, it still only took me four tries, which is a huge wall for my level of patience. Because <laughs> the first three times I had to rescan all the tree pieces, and then the fourth time I was like, I'm sick of this shit. And I left after I had solved them, saved, and then came back. I had a wall experience. I forget which playthrough this was, but I know it was not when I was a child, which is what makes this interesting. But I've never been able to replicate it myself, and I've never heard anyone <laughs> else talk about it. You've never been able to replicate being bad at the game? <laughs> I've never been able to replicate the difficulty present in this one segment. Every other time I go through it, I just blow through it my first time. But I have this like vivid memory of years and years ago being like, Oh my god, why can't I beat this this portion of the game? I don't know if I just played it on hard and I forgot that the save was on hard or something. I have no idea. But specifically, the period of time right after, like the second after you get the super missile, and you go through the rest of the Fendra Drift's pirate base until you get the thermal visor and come back out again, Right. I had to redo that portion like ten times. Like, it was so hard for me to get through that, like, gauntlet. That is... Hard because you go through it the first time and you have to fight pirates. Yeah. And then you come through it back and they're just like more pirates. <laughs> like more than there were the first time. And it's upsetting uh, and difficult. Mm-hmm. I, I can agree with that. Yeah. Also, while searching, I found that a lot of people seem to struggle on the, uh, the invisible drone. I don't know how uh, somebody struggles on that. You don't use the wave beam and are dumb? I don't I have no idea. It could be. Like, I can't see that taking more than like one try. No offense to anybody who was like, that guy was way harder than you gave him credit for. I don't think he was that hard. Oh, you mean the invisible drone That's like a, in the mines. Right. Not uh, the boss one, not the yeah, recurring well, ones that fly around. No, okay. not those. All right. I get you. He killed me once because I got there with like 20 health. 20 health. health. <laughs> <laughs> notes, notes, notes. Well, I have a, a pretty obvious thing to talk about. Oh, wait, talk about your one. fucking obvious thing? Uh, my fucking obvious thing is basically just... Uh, the visors, oh my god, the visors. There are four visors in this game, two of them that you start with, and then two that you pick up. The two that you start with are a normal video game and a boring re- book. <laughs> uh, and then the other two do something really commendable and something that I hate. So the one thing they do that I think is commendable is that they solve the problem, like the detective vision problem, where you just have it active all the time because it's helpful, mm-hmm. and you're like you'll just deal with like the lower fidelity graphics for however long you're gonna be playing the game, and it ends up sort of like ruining an aesthetic that people work really hard to put together. Yeah. Uh, 
they make it, you never want to keep those visors on for longer than, like, is absolutely necessary. And then the thing that I don't like is that they make you fight the final boss by using the visors. Uh, and the only reason that upsets me is because the final boss looks cool. And it's upsetting to have to look at him in, like, the x-ray visor where he's, like, a, just, like, a blob. Mm-hmm. And then you just hyper mode fucking blast him into bits. What game have you ever played where you just left, the, like, the detective vision on all the time? I used the detective vision analogy <laughs> there, which is not super accurate. Uh, but I, I probably spent more time with detective vision on in Arkham Asylum than I wanted to. Because it was helpful, like, if you're going for, like, Riddler clues, mm. like, God help you if you don't just have it on all the time. Yeah, I was going uh, to bring up the Arkham games myself. It's but the one that bothers me the most, weirdly, is Outlast. Because in Outlast, you have to have the camera up all the oh, time yeah. in order you to use the flashlight. Yeah, and so the night, the night vision makes everything... I mean, it accomplishes a goal. It wants things to look creepy, mm. and it does do that. But a lot of the time, I kind of just want to, like see the world as it is right. and the game just doesn't let you do that but that's really those are my big examples but I'm sure it's a thing uh, in other games that I just haven't really played yeah the, the visors really are not in Prime 1 supposed to be like all, true alternative vision modes which is thankful and it's weird to see how games after this one actually messed up with that concept by trying to make them more, like, playable in the other visor modes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the thermal visor is particularly hilarious if you try to leave it on for more than, like, three or four seconds. Because, <laughs> like, it's just, like, a color massacre yeah, happening on depending on, on where you are. Yeah. It can be, like, a huge... <laughs> bl- yeah, just massive color. Yeah, yeah it's it's gross. Let's see. Get a grab me and get... Oh! Uh, those more... The spider ball tracks... Yes. I have such, like, a nostalgic fondness for those Spider-Ball tracks that it, like, clouds my vision of whether or not they're actually good game design. Like, I'm not actually convinced that they are, but I just loved them when I was a kid, and now I just still love them because of that. <laughs> they feel kind of awkward sometimes, like... Uh, Which components? Like, Because there's one or two different ways that they use Spider-Ball tracks. One of them I really like, and the other is just boring as sin. I never really found them to provide any kind of challenge. Did you... And I forget, because I'm forgetting the sequences. I can, like, track the game perfectly up to Thardis, and then I, I like, everything gets muddy after Thardis for me. Did you get to a lot of the puzzles with the Spider-Ball track that exist in Magmore Caverns? Uh, you mean like how you get the plasma beam? Like the super long one That's that one. has like the grids that you actually just have free range of motion on? Yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah I got there. And you didn't you didn't find those engaging? Uh, I mean, like they were. It was more just like hilariously long. <laughs> it was so long. I was like, why is this so long? It's not hard. <laughs> I'm not even talking about that specific one. I'm just uh, talking I mean, like, about it, in general. It was okay. I could take it or leave it. Like I didn't hate it. Yeah. I didn't really like it that much either. Just kind of there. Yeah. I, I told <laughs> It was a room that they told me to complete, and I completed it. <laughs> yeah. The Spider-Ball tracks, like, I like the concept a lot in the same way that I like the same exact concept as it's used in, like, Prey. Uh, 
the original Prey, not the 2016 Prey. I don't think they have upside-down walking in that game. Uh, but, uh, they're 2017. Fuck, it's, it's a year. Anyway. It's a year? Oh my god. Uh, but, like, I always enjoyed, like, watching Samus, like, spiral up things, because it's just funny. But, like, this super long track's, like, there's, like, an actual sense of, like, nerve-wracking when you, like, have to drop and then re-grab on. The window is huge. Oh, yeah, you're yeah. fine. Super and, and easy to do. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you just immediately tap it again after you've let go of it, you're totally fine. Yeah. But, man, does it feel treacherous. Right. You don't want to fall in your, like, threatening little ball form. Right into yeah. a pool of lava. Mm-hmm. They, they made better use of the spider ball puzzles, particularly I remember in 3, also in later games. They got they got progressively more like creative and ballsy with stuff they were willing to do with the spider ball. So you'll, you'll have fun with that maybe someday. But the times that I didn't like them, to, just to clarify my earlier point, is that occasionally they just use them as straight gating, where it's just like, oh, in order to get across this cavern, I just have to go on a straight spider ball track all the way across the chasm. Right, there's an, uh, another way to do yeah, it. They yeah. did that in a handful of places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that I could have taken her left as well. That was like one like long-term goal I had through the game for like a long time. Was like to get they, across the spider ball track. Yeah, was to get the spider ball upgrade, because there's spider ball tracks like real early. Yeah, to get to like, like the man, furnace. Yeah, like when am I going to get the spider ball? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, th- and that's honestly the same kind of thing can be said for the x-ray visor, where like, yeah, later they do just sort of make things that were visible before not visible to give it like a like an actual use. But the first time you actually need the X-ray visors to get across inexplicable invisible platforms. <laughs> yeah, I think that one's hurt by how late in the game it's introduced. It just like used for a couple of things, which makes it which makes it feel kind of useless. Yeah, and a lot of the things that it, because it's literally an X-ray visor. A lot of the things that you find with it feel kind of bullshitty and not like the signals that you need another item to come back for thing that Metroid always constantly does. Right. The one people always bring up as like the a, a like cone of shame over top of the end game hunting for uh, the pieces of the artifact uh, is in uh, Fendra's Edge. There is like at the very top of it, there's a secret hidden plasma door. You have to power bomb mm. just a piece of wall for like it's literally the exact <laughs> example that everyone brings up of like annoying wall hunting, right? But just for one second in this 3D game, you just have to X-ray visor and be like, "There's a door there," and then it, there's no scan to tell you what you have to do, so you just have to, you know, power Figure bomb. Figure out it. that it's a power bomb. Right? Yeah. yeah, that's yeah, that's a little unfortunate. Um, kind of like to switch directions here right. uh, but this made me think I meant to bring this up earlier but forgot the end game like fetch quest that this game has was kind of like that's like is also in like the Wind Waker and is in like a couple other games like yeah did a game like do that and well. everyone liked it <laughs> and that's why like a bunch of other games did it because like Every, it's in a handful of games, and everybody just bitches about it. Yeah. Like, why was that a thing? I feel like it's a thing that... Uh, now, I, I didn't, I guess, read a lot of contemporaneous reviews for games of this that have this concept in them. Mm-hmm. But uh, the 
like the collect a bunch of stuff in order to do this or whatever. Yeah, it's just like gating at the end of the game. Right. Like, oh, in order to finish it, go do this thing. <laughs> but that's like a and video fuck. game staple. Like that's like a piece of design that a lot of games use. Like Banjo Kazooie uses it. Uh, but that game is about collecting things. Well, yeah, it's they don't tell you right at the end. Like, oh, by oh, the way, you, get, you have to get a bunch of you notes. You have to get all this stuff if you want to go to the end. I think you are taking you are arguing against the stereotype of what that is. And even what it is in later Metroid games, like in Prime 2, but I honestly think they do it well here in Prime 1 for a lot of separate reasons. They do tell you about it pretty early, though. I think you may have missed this. Right after you get the space jump boots, you can jump up and go into the, like, Chozo... What's it called? Sanctum? Oh, no. You can get there without the space jump boots. Oh, you can just, like, walk on up? Second you have missiles, you can get there. Okay. Yeah. I just didn't go back until after I got the space jump boots. And that's, like, the end game zone Mm -hmm. that we're talking about. And you can get, oh, like, I think eight clues initially, and then more clues as you unlock more areas about the locations where all of uh, the little items are, which are relatively well-designed clues. They have the, like easiness of normally highlighting one word so that you can just like see the general room you have to be in and then the clue itself gives you more context of what you're supposed to do in the room i like the way that's designed i like that oftentimes because there's not a whole lot of reason for you to come back to your ship and go in this other room unless like there's nothing to do over that direction so you always have to do it yourself which means a lot of people like you miss it and don't go over there for a long time they just walk up see a missile door forget about it and leave uh is You'll be going through all these sequences, and you might, like, find one of these artifacts without any of the context of what they are, what they do, and they're just the most mysterious shit in the world. You just have this, like, this is a symbol you've been seeing all over the place, and you get one, and the game makes a big goddamn deal out of you getting it. With Fanfare. This, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, like, a completely unique thing, and you don't have any understanding. And it, all of them aren't gated to the end game. Like, you can just consistently find them as you unlock yeah. more and more things. I guess I just don't like... Well, I guess the game did tell you about them earlier on. Yeah. That but being said... But it's, 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 it's possible to miss that, and that, that seems like a flaw to me. I appreciate all of the things that this game did to signpost them where it could. Uh, the one issue that I have, I guess, is that it's not necessarily how well this particular find the stuff to unlock a door quest was handled... It's just the concept of it is lame. <laughs> yeah, it's like the idea that it, it feels like it's side content, that the game is like, oh, now you have to do this if you want to finish. Right. That just, that feels bad to me, like pretty much no matter how you slice it. Yeah. That being said, it is Metroidvania it, yeah, game, I was gonna it say, is a yeah, game if about it makes, collecting stuff. If it makes sense in any kind of game, it's probably a Metroid game. It's definitely not a Zelda game with a boat. Right, yeah. <laughs> that's not where well, I would that put one this. Is, yeah, yeah, <laughs> agree. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, I complained about it in Assassin's Creed as well. That's true. You have to collect all this fucking. God, this is everywhere. Yeah, yeah. We've played so many games with this exact. Mechanic. Yeah, I just it it especially like sucks for me personally because like I don't really gel well with Metroid because. I'm the kind of person that always likes to be making progress in the game. So, like, I never get sidetracked for too often before I go back to the main path. Right. At least, like, in a more, like, quote-unquote linear game. Unless it's, like, an open-world game where you're su- pretty much supposed to fuck around. Yeah. <laughs> like, I always like to, like, 
go through the main path all at once and then do extra shit later before the end. Right. Which is why I have four energy tanks when I fight this <laughs> so mega pirate. <laughs> now, swear to God, with five energy tanks, he would have destroyed that fucking. Like he was doing really well with four energy tanks. It was the it was the minions. That yeah, or what did it? Mm-hmm. They do so much damage. We were watching Despicable Me at the time. <laughs> yeah, the minions. And the minions were they like they do so much psychological damage. <laughs> That I'm unable to defeat the space pirate. Or the Omega pirate. <laughs> well, now that we've got the imagery of minions solidly into the heads of our listeners, uh, I'd like to like move on to a point that talking about uh, the weird sort of mysteriousness of finding the artifacts reminded me of. And it, I think it's present in a lot of Metroid games. I, I think to some extent by accident. Uh but is really an appreciated feature for me, and that's how much of their presentation of the Chozo as like a weird spiritual mysticism beyond time and space thing. Man, it's weird. It is very weird. <laughs> it's very weird. It has one real big upside though, which is that it it can be it it can be the like just throw in excuse for any video gamey bullshit they ever want to do ever. Yeah. Like all the power ups are just these mysterious items floating in space. That are clearly just pickups, right. but you know, in the lore you can just be like, "Oh, it's just mystery Chozo bullshit." Chozo yeah, artifacts. It's like yeah. it's got that ancient aliens thing going on, mm-hmm. like that ancient advanced technology angle. Yeah, the, fortunately, not something that I've brought up enough times where it's been a theme. I actually like the Chozo application better in Super Metroid than I do in this game because I feel like in this game they use it as an excuse a little bit too often. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Super Metroid, there's like a a Chozo statue that when you break its little orb to get the power up, it just stands up and fucks you up. Like it just like <laughs> beats the it's, shit out of you. It's more subtle in Super Metroid. In this game, it just says Chozo everywhere. Yeah. Right, and in Super Metroid, you don't even really know what's going. The fact that that one just like decides to kick your ass is like a totally like it's a complete surprise when it happens and so you don't really know what to think about the whole race at that point right whereas uh in this game it's sort of like very like right on front street like yo chozos are rad you're even kind of a chozo yourself word yeah <laughs> which i mean is not does not hamper my enjoyment of this game whatsoever no, right but it's part yeah. it was part of their goal is they're trying to shove the Chozo in general down your throat because they were trying to shove as much environmental storytelling that they could down your throat in 2002. Right. Like, it's it's all up in your face because they wanted you to have moments where you, like, walk into a mysterious room while opera plays in the background and you look up at, like, a majestic statue with light, you know, yeah. coming down and it being cool and lighty. Which is something that we talked about during... Like, while well, I don't even remember who was playing at the time, but while well, one of us was playing, that this game does, like, really actually graphically hold up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How the fuck is that? I think I figured it out. What is it? Okay, so you know how they use the doors in each uh, as the final boss? No, they, <laughs> they use the doors to, like, gate loading screens yeah. and elevators as well. I think they just literally put so much effort into every single environment like in terms of making it look the lighting is really good the textures are surprisingly not shitty on a gamecube game yeah and it takes forever to open a door (laughs) i think that they just have so much content in each room that when they load it 
they just are loading a whole bunch of stuff. They're like, we have all these load points. Let's really make it worth it. And that's just what happened. And you bring up the lighting. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the and lighting effects are good. The lighting in this game. I, I think it also leads to why like the visuals kind of hold up, because the lighting is very dark it in is. this game. Yeah, It kind of masks a lot of, like... The grainier Yeah, elements. the grainier areas. Just like with human beings, the dark yeah. masks, the rough edges, <laughs> really, really well. Uh, yeah, like I had to turn the lighting up to like seventy-five <laughs> percent, yeah, <laughs> to see. Yeah, it's like I can't think of another example of a game from this era that tried to do like pseudo realism that holds up literally at all. You don't see any people. That's a that's a good one. That is important. You so that all the all the weird stuff you would normally interpret as like uncanny oh, valley. Yeah, it's, it's, it's instead not it's just like the creepiness of space pirates and mm-hmm. rock people. I did have two notes. I think this one, even though I really should have brought it up a lot earlier, mm-hmm. uh, fits well in here. I think that uh, they went through a lot of trouble, graphically speaking, to make. Samus, like the fact that it was a first person game, a very like evident part. They really wanted to go there, like, first person means immersion, so they put in like just like vents that do nothing except steam up your visor. And like, you will see Samus's face reflected in the visor. And when you get hit with something and you have the x ray visor, Samus will like put her hand up in front, and you can see like her finger bones. <laughs> and I'm like, man, a lot of this is like super unnecessary, but looks really cool. Oh, yeah. So I'm glad that's there. Most games would have used like. Oh, you're looking at a visor as an excuse for the existence of the on-screen props. Of the HUD, yeah. But in this game, they went so far beyond just the amount they needed to for the excuse to work. Mm-hmm. Like, you walk around, and a wee little bit of the visor will just jiggle relative <laughs> to the screen. Just the teeniest little jiggle, so you know that, that, that you are looking at through a separate helmet, right. and not just through a window into the world through your television. Mm-hmm. Uh it's just wonderful. It's you, her pretty eyes that show up every time she's in like mortal <laughs> danger or an explosion happens nearby. Yeah. It's always shocking too. It, it, it's one of my favorite parts actually to watch other people in person play through these games. I used to, a ton of other people when I was a kid, I would be like, play Metroid Prime! Ah. Uh, <laughs> I'd always wait until the first time someone like did a charge beam and like just shot it into a wall because they were a stupid kid. Uh, and just so they could see their reaction to like, half second of human eyes just like pop up over pretty much the entire screen yeah it's it's very jarring the first time yeah like it's also like easy like playing as like as a guy like to forget that samus is a girl as you're playing (laughs) yeah and i like that they put in little reminders like that like in um metroid fusion like the death animation was like the armor explodes and you can like actually like oh yeah she's a person right (laughs) and not like a robot (laughs) (laughs) like you forget while you play sometimes Mm. and i like that they throw that stuff in yeah because it is especially considering how heavy this game is on its direct and indirect storytelling in comparison to other Metroid games. Because the ones we talk about are the ones where they just fucking actually have a plot. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the game is really Samus's story. And so it would be slightly detrimental to constantly put yourself in as the insert for, for right. Samus here. Uh, you lose a little bit of the context and what these things are actually supposed to mean for the character yeah. if you do that. And, yeah. 
Uh, one random thing I was thinking about the other day. Um, this game doesn't have any dialogue. Fuck yes. <laughs> Which seems weird for like a 3D game. Yep. Like I just I hadn't thought about that before. I was like just thinking like it felt like there was something about this game like that's like kind of like off to me and I don't know what it is. And right. I'm like I like there's yeah, there's no dialogue and there's no like direct plot really other than like she follows Ridley to this planet. planet. You know, like in like like you know what I could just like a like an upfront like narrative. Yeah, it's and it, I think it, it helps make the the experience more of like an ice like a, a solitary one, I mm-hmm. guess. Uh, but yeah, I really never thought about that. But that's true. There's like no, you never speak to another thing. Yeah, like no one's like giving you missions. It's like not like another person communicating with you, which is like stuff like right. showing up in your visor. Your ship doesn't even have a computer this time. Yeah. Or presumably it does, but it's like having an off day. <laughs> <laughs> it broke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in the explosion, right. But yeah, it just it seems weird in this kind of game. Like there's usually those elements. Yeah. There's not even any uh, ectatunes or <laughs> yeah. the, the, the shitter ectatunes. <laughs> it's the same reaction that he had when I said it in uh, Fusion. Those animals uh, from the biosphere in Metroid oh, Fusion. And in Super Metroid. Yeah, humanized critters. Yeah, no, they're yeah. like, they're, nothing is friendly to you. At best, things are indifferent to you yeah. in Metroid uh, Prime. And if you want, like, the quickest way to appreciate how fantastic the silence made going through all of these areas is, is play Metroid Prime 2, play Metroid Prime 3 in that order. Because they kept stepping out (laughs) the amount of explicit narrative and the amount of, like, audio-based communication. In Mm. Prime 2, it was was little stippy steps. Uh, They had a a flashback at one point when you find some, like, dead Marines. Mm. uh, And... The like big narrative arc of Prime Two really starts when uh, you kind of by surprise, but I'm willing to spoil you know Metroid Prime Two by now. Uh, uh, is I'm planning on playing that. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Uh, there's a person. He doesn't actually have lines, uh, but there's a there's a person. There's a human being who who helps you with shit okay fair enough yeah and in prime 3 it's there Otacon. is like actually voice acting for everyone but samus and like on screen i was gonna say yeah from what i remember like in the beginning of prime 3 you're like at the federation yeah and like some like commander guy is like giving you yeah there's yeah. a masculine space commander who's just like samus school that there see ya and then you're like, oh, man. Go on this mission where uh, you'll have to escape on a timer and you'll lose all your equipment and right. you'll follow yep. Ridley somewhere. Yep, yep. <laughs> Go to the inciting planet. Yeah. This all makes sense. <laughs> and then you realize that it was never... That people are like an entirely unnecessary element of these games. Yeah, a Metroid game that doesn't start with Samus' ship crash landing on a planet is a Metroid game. Is not even a Metroid game. Yeah. It's like, man... That's like a necessary element to just not have anyone tell you anything and just drop you somewhere and say go. Mm-hmm. Like that is the most traditional Metroid formula. Yeah. And it works best here in your 
pretty lonely atmosphere. So, do you have any substantial notes, or should we move on to final... Now, nothing substantial. I was going to point out what I thought was a very tiny decision that I wanted to read the room on, which was the scan hints with the map, where if you spend a certain period of time not like for doing forward progression, the map will just talk to you and be like, oh, I found a thing, and show it up on the map. And before I say what I think about it, what do both of you feel uh, about this feature? It seems kind of against the spirit of Metroid, but by God, I loved it trying to get through it <laughs> in the time that I had. Yeah. Uh, I actually was going to ask about this um, because I actually didn't know if it was timer-based or if it was proximity-based. Like it was something that would just always happen. Uh, my memory of it, because obviously if it didn't happen... I didn't know if it was supposed to happen because mm-hmm. <laughs> I just didn't see it. So it's all timer based. No matter where you are on the map, the, the map will like if you're halfway across the world, the map will zoom out into the world map, go into the right place, and right? Point you in the direction. So I want to say, I mean, I'm fine with it as far as like, uh, like the babification of games. I don't think this is like the worst defender by any means. Agree. Um, I mean, it's it's far like okay, so. This game came out in 2002, and Fusion came out in 2002 as well, and that game, like, had objective markers that pointed you where you're supposed to go all the time. And if I would have a complaint about the system in this game, it would be, like, just, like, massively hypocritical of me to, like, praise Metroid Fusion as, like, a good Metroid game people should play Mm -hmm. that has a much worse version of this. So, I would say I'm good with it. I think it's a fine addition. Yeah. And then, to reveal my hand here, I do agree that, like you said, Andy, it's, it seems, like, contrary to, like, the core design that they're going with for this, mm-hmm. but it's such a small step against that design that I, I don't think it's offensive to anyone. Like, it fades mm-hmm. into the background normally when you play, and not a lot of people talk about the introduction of the feature, even though it's, like, kind of a huge compromise based on what most people are trying to do with a Metroidvania game. Right. Uh, I think it's because all they give you is the, the geographic location of a room and not any of the connection points to that room. Right. So all it does, essentially, is just give you the goal point but it doesn't. You don't even necessarily have to have any of the maps or any of the connections or where to get there. So you still feel like you're not following a waypoint at that point. You you still have the like Metroidvania style investigation and exploration to get to the point that you know you need to go to. But it does give you enough of like a general hint that you just sort of you know which cardinal direction to wander essentially. Yeah. And. This was the first time doing this kind of level design in 3D, mm-hmm. or at least for Retro Studios anyway. Um, so I feel like you could have maybe gotten rid of that if you had like better signposting or like a little bit stronger level design to like lead you where you're supposed to go. Right. Uh, but I feel like it's a perfectly reasonable compromise for like the time this was made. Yeah, I agree. Notably, like. My thoughts on on it largely stem from the fact that I think that, and this is something I brought up in Fusion as well, it's just way harder to memorize a 3D space than it is a 2D one, because there's a third, it's a cubic area as opposed to a flat plane. Uh, So just like, 
having that, I think, is is way more acceptable in Prime as opposed to in a 2D Metro game anyway. Agreed. It's another huge help with how atmospheric everything is, is that the amount that they spend, uh, the amount of time they spend differentiating the rooms makes it also much easier for you to memorize everything. Like, I might be able to just straight draw Chozo ruins after all these repeated playthroughs because I can break down the rooms. I, I probably won't get like the connecting tunnels and bullshit right, right, but I know what all the general rooms are for and I know what they all sort of look like because they all have a different different aesthetic. Yeah, yeah it might have been because it was really linear, but I thought the Magmore Caverns was really easy to remember. Yeah. That's true, yeah. So, uh, the one other thing that I had to say is stupid as hell, as it always <laughs> is on my final note mm-hmm. before... <laughs> <laughs> the end. Uh, I watched somebody play parts of the Wii version of the game, which I'd never seen before. Yeah. And I gotta say, the reticle in the Wii version, super disappointing. What do you mean? Uh, <laughs> one of the things that I really liked about, uh, like, as, as we were talking about, like, the visors and stuff, like, the fact that they act like you're actually in a helmet, the reticles for all the different beams have a different, like, aesthetic thing to it yep. and they like op- they occupy different quadrants of your reticle and in fact have a little charge meter that shows you when you're at full charge the Wii version just doesn't yep like it's just a circle with like fucking red shit in a second <laughs> circle and then like a lock-on <laughs> circle and it becomes like this whole like cacophony of circles on the screen <laughs> but not anywhere near as cool as the one in the game it seems weird they backtracked on that uh it's because it was a time-saving mechanism. They straight lifted the point and like click UI from Prime Three, and uh. Prime Three doesn't even have different beam weapons. Prime Three has consistent upgrades for one beam. It was one of the like, ways. Prime... It is in like regular Metroid games, right? Yeah. yeah, they're going back to that, and they were compromising for the fact that you know, they no longer had as many buttons on the Wii. So, uh, in, I think in a perfect world. Uh, they would have found some kind of point-and-click compromise between the, like, cool complexity and, like, opaqueness that exists in the, like, natural version of Prime 1 uh, and the, the knowing where your reticule is all the time in Prime 3. But uh, they didn't, and they just released this as kind of a, a graphical update for, a you know, a really cool and fantastic disc package that I'm glad you can get online now. Yeah. But... Yeah, just maybe we can get a mod someday when Oculus Rift Metroid Prime 1 exists. <laughs> Alright, uh, so, final thoughts, remember, weighted scale out of 10, like always, mm-hmm. 7 is good. What are we waiting it with, doors? Are they- uh, <laughs> <laughs> Alright, uh, I don't know who wants, does anybody, ha- does anybody even have final thoughts that we haven't expressed already? Uh, this game is kind of the standard by which I judge like environmental exploration and well, I guess this could have been an argument one way or another there, but uh, this game defined how much I deal with exploration in all games that uh, like, it's a huge thing that I draw from for my D&D campaign all the time and all sorts of other nonsense. Uh, uh, I guess my final thoughts are the controls were very off-putting initially, and I was like, oh god, I should have played the Wii version. Uh, <laughs> but then I got used to them, like we were saying earlier, and I did enjoy this game, and now after like playing both Fusion and Prime, like I can't quite put my finger on like what it is about Metroid that like I don't click with, 
Because, mm-hmm. like, I feel like on paper, Metroid seems like a series I should like a lot more than I do. And I just, I don't know what it is specifically about it and might have conversations with JJ about this in the future because he's the Metroid guy. <laughs> but, like, I don't know what it is. Because, like, there's things that, like, that Metroid shares with, like, Zelda. And, like, I like those things in Zelda and don't really like them in Metroid. And I don't know why. Right. Uh, for me, I'd say in the past year I've played more Metroid games than I have in any individual year uh, in my life. Weirdly, I've played Fusion, Super Metroid, and Metroid Prime all in the last, like, eight months. Uh, meaning that there's a possibility that I'll add Samish Returns to that list. Mm. And what I have to say mostly in terms of my actual thoughts on this are... Metroid Prime, while a game that I still enjoy, uh, reminds me a lot of why I will always prefer 2D Metroid games, because I just find them generally uh, like a simpler experience, and uh, I really should probably play uh, Prime 3 at some point. But the motion controls scare me, so I don't know if I will. We're going to record you playing Prime 3. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> I really want to, like... Record Chad playing Skyward Sword. <laughs> we'll do a whole recurring series of Chad attempts but, motion controls. But, like, Metroid Primes are, like, so much simpler than Skyward Sword. Because it's all like, pointer-based. Yeah, like, the story is... Like, we got into talking about Skyward Sword the other night, <laughs> and the things that Chad was saying were just hilarious. <laughs> yeah. That will, that's something I'm totally willing to do, so we you might see that from us sometime in the future. Uh... <laughs> But until that time, thank you for listening to NoClip this week. What are we talking about next time? Next time, we're going to be talking about Drinkbox Studios Severed, uh, which is a game that's on a bunch of stuff with a touchscreen. So if it has a touchscreen, Severed probably exists on it. you got phones, 3DS, and the Wii U. Until then, if you want to get a hold of us, you can do so at NoClipPodcast.com. It's got our email address, Twitter, YouTube, etc., etc., uh, check out all of our old episodes. Look at us on iTunes. Look at us on <laughs> iTunes. Leave a review and a rating, a yeah. like, a subscription, <laughs> uh, all those things. Other like interact thumbs? with us yeah. on the internet. To tell yeah. your friends. Mm-hmm. And if you see a fist with a thumb and it's pointing like up, <laughs> whatever that button does, that on whatever me, platform that you're on. It took me a hot minute to realize what you're talking about. Yeah. Talk to you guys later. That good enough? No. Mm-hmm. Also, I think I may have been using the word huckster incorrectly there. What does it even mean? I mean, it's somebody who's trying to sell you something. <laughs> but it has the same sort of conniving Yeah, like a good car salesman. That I'm just going to roll with because yeah, that was a really amusing conversation. Like Watto from Star Wars is a total huckster. Watto is, is an exact huckster, yes.